Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. It's March 11th. J.C. Sherbert here with you. And as promised, we're joined by Keith Alsep of the Lot on the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, for those of you that didn't catch the last episode, uh, how this is going to go is every Thursday, it's going to be like, re- we'll call it Reunion Thursday. You know, we'll have me on with Keith one Thursday, then the next Thursday, he'll be on with us right here, talking to all of our listeners. And uh, Keith, how are things going right now? JC, things are going great. It's kind of been a, a little slow period for Gamecock Sports. So uh, this week and next week, I'm doing three episodes, and then we'll be ramping it back up to every day uh, when spring practice gets underway. But uh, big series ahead with the Gamecocks invading uh, Longhorn Country on Friday. Hopefully, they'll be able to get those games in. Uh, There are some thunderstorms headed our way. And so, I would say Friday and Saturday are iffy at this point. But, I mean, hell, let's face it, you never know. I mean, the weathermen, in a perfect world, they're right half the time. And out here, when they say it's going to rain, it may be raining in one place five miles down the road. It's not raining. So, yeah, I, and I think too, you know, maybe if you have rolling thunderstorms, maybe it's a, there could be some delays, you know, so if you guys that are out there streaming the baseball series, which we'll get to later this weekend, you know, you may be glued to the Longhorn Network for five, six hours with all the delayed, maybe get some old school uh, Texas football highlights of Vince Young or something uh, thrown in there. But um, anyway, wins basketball tonight, Keith, uh, I've talked about this a lot. I've devoted a lot of time to the Frank Martin situation this week, but uh, it seems everybody has an opinion, um, both in terms of what to do now and what to do down the road. And, um, you know, uh, they play Ole Miss tonight. I, You know, Carolina's played Ole Miss a lot in the SEC tournament. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say a win would shock me. I, I just am not confident that it would happen. Uh, and then they go on to LSU if they don't get the win tonight. But um, uh, it looks like, you know, there's going to be a decision made relatively quick uh, when it comes to this. What, what's your take on the Frank Martin situation and men's basketball? Well, JC, I mean, I was kind of kind of there with John Whittle to where it's kind of uh, 50-50, but maybe tilting a little bit more on a change being made, but I had Mike Yuva on my show just a short time ago, and his sources are telling him he's, he's very confident as of today Frank Martin will be back next year. I mean, my opinion is, you know, I think Frank Martin's an excellent coach, but for whatever reason, it's just not working out. And he's been here nine years, and I just think, honestly, you know, despite his words, I think it would be, you know, in the interest of both parties, just get a fresh start. I kind of think I've, I've deemed it on my show. South Carolina is in basketball purgatory with Frank Martin. I just think they're in 
in this box and you know how high the ceiling is uh, for every year except one, you know, magical three-week run and you know where the floor is and you know how wide the box is. And I just don't think they're getting out of that box with Frank Martin as the head basketball coach. Yeah, I, I, I have a, I have a feeling too on both ends that it's just you know nine years is a long time to be in a place. Uh, I think some unfortunate things have happened. Um, you know, everything from the you're in and now you're out with the NCAA tournament before the Final Four year to you know inexplicable losses that were very costly the last couple of years to the you know NIT rules where. You know, when Odom and those guys went, you could go with a 14 and 13 record. But now that they let the mid-major champions in, you know, it's basically a mid-major tournament. Um, And you can't get in going 17 and 16 or 16 and 16. Um, You know, maybe they'd have been in last year. But uh, uh, it's one of those things where the resume could look a lot better. I mean, they could be sitting on six straight trips to the postseason. Uh, I, I think at that point, you know, this year's just a throwaway and, and people aren't as frustrated. But I, I think that it, it's one of those things where it, it's been a slow sort of, I don't want to say death, but a slow slip into purgatory. I mean, uh, you know, you look back to the first year after the Final Four. This is the fourth year after the Final Four, remember. Uh, that 17 and 16 team with Frank Booker and those guys, you know, they had some big-time teams on the ropes, Texas Tech on the ropes, Tennessee on the ropes twice. Uh, you win those three games, you're in. Uh, and I think I don't think anybody was worried about that. I think they were more shocked they didn't make the NIT than anything. Then the next year, the bat, you had the bad start, you know, with some inexplicable losses. And then, lo and behold, you go 11-7 and seven in the league, and, you know, things are looking up. But then last year – you know, they're just inexcusable situations where, you know, you don't lose at home to Stetson. Um, you don't, uh, you know, maybe you play a little better defense against Northern Iowa and win that one, and then you don't blow it at Vanderbilt to end the regular season, which was the worst loss of them all. After you've worked hard to get back toward the bubble, you go and lose to the worst team in the SEC. Um you know, you don't, des- you know, you don't deserve to go. I mean, you know, and and I, and I think that's been the problem is it's almost been like a lot of these little missteps have added up, you know, during the course of seasons that have prevented the end product from being as good as, as people wanted to be. And then this year's just been a disaster. I, 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 I can't think of a, a season, Keith, where, you know, you look at it, good coach, good players, terrible team I mean I, I thought maybe the only team that, that I could think of that, that is done like this would maybe maybe Lou Holtz's first year where you know you know Lou Holtz is a good coach uh you know they had some really good players on that team that ended up in the NFL uh so they probably weren't 0 and 11 but as an outfit they were um but this is year nine I mean this is not uh, he, you know, this is not taking over a one in 10 team. This is in, you know, getting most of your 18 win team back, uh, a team that's won 21 Southeastern conference games the last two years for the most part. Um, and it's just not working out. Uh, and, and I think for that reason, you know, it just, it feels like if they could make a change, change, change could be made. And I don't, I don't know who Mike, Mike's talking to, 
Uh, I certainly respect him and respect his sources. And, and, and the people I talk to don't necessarily say a change is happening, okay? Um, but they do say that there's some decision that has to be made, some question about it, and, you know, so, so we'll see ultimately what happens. All right, so, you know, to kind of emphasize the point, okay, in that Final Four run, they didn't have the multiple bad non-conference loss like they have every year. They've had every year. Like, you go back to the Frank Booker team that you talked about. Okay, they lost the exhibition game to Augusta College. They lost to Stony Brook at home. All right, they lost uh, to, uh, to Providence. But then they get blown out at home by Wofford by 20 points. And they lost at Laramie, Wyoming to a, just a sad uh, bunch of Cowboys, they mm-hmm. see. And, you know, other losses are palatable. You know, losing to Virginia, losing to Michigan, nothing wrong with that. But those other losses is what gets you. And then, you know, if we just skip ahead and go to last year, you know, they lose to Boston University at home. They get blown out by Wichita State. They lost uh, a game against uh, Northern uh, Iowa. Yeah, Northern Iowa, UNI. And after they beat Clemson and Virginia, they come back and play Stetson, who was a number like 303 in the net at home and lost. And that's in addition to losing that Vanderbilt game, at, you know, the last game of the regular season. With it all on the line. I mean, yeah. you know. I mean, the, it's just been every single year, you know, it's kind of like a yo-yo. But, I mean, look, it's been unpredictable this year. I mean, let's look at the Big East today. Uh, Villanova gets beat by Georgetown who was the eighth seed, and Villanova was a one seed. Yes. Look at Duke. You know, they're out of the ACC tournament because of uh, positive COVID test. Their season's over. Duke and Kentucky both are likely out of the tournament this year for the first time (laughs) since 76. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky fell to the bullies. Uh, Mississippi State. Took them down. Kentucky, they had a good look at a three that, you know, in the game and uh, missed, and they end up losing. I, I mean, look, and you're right. It has been a weird year, um, you know, and, and I think I think Ray Tanner's going to take that into account, um, and, and Bob Castle's going to take that into account when they, they make this decision and all that. But, yeah, I mean, it has been, and – you know, you've coached basketball before. I, I tend to think that, you know, the pandemic affected football teams uh, to a certain extent this past year. But I, I think basketball, it affected it even worse. In fact, 
we've talked about this before, Keith. I would have pushed the season back. Um, once you saw teams having to take a month off and things like that, you know, I, I think it was grossly unfair that they continued to plow through um, when they could have just moved it back, in my opinion. And that's not a Gamecock thing. That's just, you know, considering what's happened in the sport across the country. I mean, look, my guy, Rick Patino was the first one that said it. Look, we need to suspend play, push it back two months, and have May Madness, not March Madness, May Madness. And, you know, now with the, the vaccines being so readily available, JC, you know, uh, with the J&J one-shot deal, I mean – by May, look, the NCAA, they would have bought the enough vaccines to get everybody vaccinated, yes. you know, to get that tournament going. Uh, I mean, I thought it sounded like a good idea at the time. I commented on it at the time because winter was going to be the worst part of it. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate this thing's been so politicized, but I mean, scientists are the experts, not politicians with an agenda. And they warned that the winter time was going to be the worst because of the flu and the cold. And May Madness, you know, I mean, when I watched Duke in North Carolina this year, JC, it's almost unwatchable. I mean, the sport has suffered this year because of all the mispractice time, because of all the uncertainty, and because of, you know, I, I listened to an interview with Rick Barnes just the other day, and he talked about when he met with his seniors before the SEC tournament and everybody took their mask off. It's like the first time he had addressed his team where they had their mask off and he had his mask off. I mean, there, there's uh, an intangible, I think, that's been missing. You know, the camaraderie, the togetherness of teams has been missing because of all this protocols and isolation. And, I mean, no doubt, you know, some of the top programs in America have been, you know, ad adversely affected by this. Meanwhile... You know, if you got Cade Cunningham on your team, yeah. uh, he he seems to be the X factor. Mike Boynton takes down Bob Huggins today, and uh, second straight win over West Virginia that they've had. Yeah, I mean they just keep on rolling. And look, I can tell you, when you have really great players and you draw up those plays on your whiteboard. They have a lot better chance of working than if you got guys that really, you know, or TJ Moss or, hmm. you know, Wilden's LeBlanc. TJ Moss getting a lot of minutes uh, lately. I, I don't, I don't know why. And look, here's the thing: Mike Boynton, um, and if a change is made, and obviously we don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, from what I'm told is we'll know quickly uh, after – it's not going to linger for a couple of days. You'll know if Frank's coming back or not. Either way, Keith, I anticipate massive roster turnover 
um, new coach or not. Uh, and, you know, with, with that type of situation, you know, Fr- Frank's done a decent job at times of finding guys that you don't maybe think can play that good that have come in and actually played better at South Carolina for him than maybe they did at their previous stop. You know, Booker, Trey Campbell come to mind, uh, those guys. But, um, you know, the, the portal, too, this year, just like in football, is going to be a lot different because of you're probably going to be eligible eligible instantly. Um, so that's intriguing to see what he can put together. But, you know, Martin doesn't necessarily have a track record of going out there and being able to assemble, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, other than like just getting some help. I haven't seen the ability to go out and put two, three transfers on the roster and then have them ready to roll with what he likes to do right away. And, and so that's a little concerning heading into next year if he returns. I mean, Mike Uva and I talked about that on the show today is with the transfer portal and with everything. I mean, look, you know, Seventh Woods, uh, who really was, you know, who I thought he was. Yes. Undoubtedly, A.J. Lawson, you know, who's uh, not on anybody's top 100 right now that has any credibility. There's only 60 draft picks, but he's probably going to go play professional basketball. You know, Keyshawn Bryant, I don't think it's a big secret there that maybe his dad doesn't have the greatest relationship with Frank Martin, and he's thought about, you know, playing overseas. Um, for a Just, Justin Manaya has been there for 27 years, and yeah. I think, I think Manaya probably is a guy that could move on. Yeah, he could grad transfer and and go play for Rick Patino at Iona, you know. I mean, there's just no guarantees that it's going to be better next year. Um, you know, and I still have to think, J.C., Frank Martin just does not look like a well man. I mean, he just does not. And, you know, his, his you know, medical conditions, his – his business, but it, it just appears to be more than, you know, I mean, maybe it's just the, the long acting COVID, which you kind of hear about people continuing to have issues month after month. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I, I just think I'd really like for both sides to come to an amicable parting of the ways and both parties get a fresh start. Yeah, I think so too. And I, and I wish, you know, and, and Frank Martin's look, he's in a tough spot because he, he does make, I mean, he's a top 20 paid coach in the country. There, there's not a lot of schools that can afford to match what he's making at Carolina. Uh, at the same time, if you look at it in terms of totality of contract, a five-year deal worth $2 million is better than a two-year deal worth $3.25, um, you know, and all that. And I – you know, I tend to think he would thrive. Uh, you know, people were mentioning New Mexico. It doesn't look like New Mexico could afford him or there's mutual interest there. I think he could thrive at a place like that. I think, you know, a big East school like a Providence, someplace like that, where basketball is the top dog. 
um, Seton Hall, something like that. I, I think Frank Martin would be outstanding. I, I think he'd be really good at Miami, uh, to be honest with you. But there's, you know, because he he hasn't won a whole lot since the, you know, they haven't run off the NCAA tournament bids um, since the Final Four. You know, it, it's hard for him to get in the mix for these jobs because it is a what have you done for me lately type of uh, situation when it comes to a coaching hire. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, I think. Like winning masks everything, basically. If you're winning, people can put up with the cantankerous personality or the outbursts and things of that nature. I mean, I don't think the fans, you know, would be complaining about Frank if South Carolina was going, you know, 23 and 7 and going, you know, to the Sweet 16, making a couple of Elite 8s since the final four, I think it would be a loving relationship going both ways, but that's not been the case. And so I don't think Frank Martin is attracted to a place like a Miami that, you know, is in the best conference in the country, the ACC. And, you know, that's a very attractive opening. They'll be able to go and price uh, somebody's coach that the school desperately wants to keep. And look, they, yeah, and that's a great job. I mean, you, because of the recruiting base down there, they have a small arena that they get that's right there on campus. They, they pack it out. You get to play UNC, Duke, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, all those teams from the ACC every year. Um and it's Miami, and there's going to be a certain amount of players in any sport that are going to gravitate towards that place. I've seen it in football. We've seen it in basketball recruiting. Uh, you know, baseball is very attractive down there. I mean, it's just – it's Miami. So uh, – and I hate that for him because, you know, I, I've always thought that, you know, even if he doesn't end at Carolina – even if his career didn't end at Carolina, you know, he's a guy that you pull for. Um you know, he, he's not Bobby Knight, you know, he, he's not Greg Marshall, <laughs> uh, and all that, but, um, you know, he is Frank and he is unique. And, uh, uh I just think that, that this year, you know, we, we have to find out, you know, if this year is the, the straw that broke the camel's back or if, you know, people are willing to give it one more go around next season. Uh, and it also depends on how much do they weigh COVID. I think you have to weigh COVID Keith, uh, like it's a real thing. I mean, people are, you know, and, 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 you know, then you felt, well, whose responsibility was it to keep them away from COVID, all that stuff. The women didn't have those problems. You could dig into all of that, but, but, you know, from a PR standpoint, what kind of hit do you want to take uh, if you get rid of the guy, just, you know, just because of this year and because of COVID, I, I tend to think it's not just because of this year. I think not taking care of business last year, and to a lesser extent, the year before, namely those losses you talked about, I think those those rooster those chickens are coming home to roost. No pun intended. Um, but we'll see. But we'll move it forward. You mentioned Mike Boynton. Um, haven't even really gotten down the road with replacements yet because I, I just don't know if it's going to happen. But you know, uh, from what I've been told with, with sources I've got, kind of in the agent community, he's the name that comes up. He is an alum. 
And the word I've gotten is, you know, this guy, Mike Boynton, gets better and better and better as a coach. He sort of was kind of thrown to the wolves uh, after Brad Underwood left after a year. And, and he's responded and done a good job. And, and game by game by game, uh, he gets better. I know he's got the number one player in the country. There's no question about that. But they've won some without him. You know, your take on a Mike Boynton, which would be a historical hire as the first African-American head coach, uh, in men's basketball in, in Gamecock history? Well, I like Mike Boynton. Um, you know, he's an outstanding character guy. And, you know, I think if you're South Carolina, you need to, you probably need to look strongly at hiring an African American basketball head coach simply because of the fractured relationships with the AAU coaches. I mean, let's face it. When I was coaching high school basketball, a high school coach, that was who the college coach had to convince. That and the other, the decision maker in the family, whether it was the mom, the dad, the uncle, the grandparents, whoever. It's all about the AAU coaches and most certainly Frank Martin, you know, there's there's not good uh, relationships there. And you look at it, JC, here's another reason why I think now's the time to go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off because you have two national-level players in the class of 2022 that are a stone's throw from your campus in Julian Phillips at Blythewood and Jay Gortman at Keenan. And right now, I can promise you, if Frank Martin is the head basketball coach at South Carolina next year, neither one of those guys are going to be Gamecocks. Now, if you get rid of Frank Martin, there's no guarantee that you'll get either one of them. But I guarantee you, just like with Shane Beamer having a new vision and a new program to sell, somebody like a Mike Boynton, is going to give you absolutely a much better chance of landing one or both of those guys than you're going to have with Frank Martin. Yeah, and, you know, as, as, as crazy as it's been, and I, and I said this earlier this week, and we'll wrap up basketball real quick, um, or men's basketball at least. I said this earlier this week. It's not been – look – if Carolina were absolutely rolling in basketball, um, let's say Frank had been to the NCAAs miraculously, turned it around right away, and they culminated with the Final Four. Let's even say they had won against Gonzaga and maybe won the national championship, Keith. Let's say that. It's still going to be hard to get Zion Williamson. <laughs> uh, you know, because it's hard to get – it's not like football where, you know, right now Clemson's rolling – you know, kids are staying in state, that kind of thing. Basketball, you're still going to have to compete with Coach K, John Calipari, Roy Williams, all those guys. And it doesn't matter where those kids are, you're going to have to compete. The John Morant situation is one of the most strange situations I've ever come across in my life. So, you know, take those two out of the equation. Uh, and I keep hearing the ACC footprint thing. And I think just like the small state thing, with football, it's a factual statement to say that, but it's kind of a myth that that's really what's causing it. Because Carolina's not losing guys to the uh, to the ACC; they're losing them to other SEC teams. 
Rick Barnes is getting players out of the state, taking them to Tennessee. Vanderbilt got a an NBA player out of the state. You know, Ole Miss has Devontae Shuler. Uh, Ole Miss got Murphy Holloway back in the day. That wasn't on Frank, but uh, that was a while back. So that's the issue is, you know, kids are bolting for Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee and Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. Uh, and, and, look, those aren't teams that, um, you know, those aren't Duke and North Carolina. And so that's 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 a big issue, I think. Yep. So one final point here to kind of tie it up on Mike Boynton is you mentioned Rick Barnes. Well, Rick Barnes is a great recruiter, number one, because he's always been a great recruiter. But, you know, I look back to the uh, recruitment of the uh, – I call him Triple J, the, the kid from Porter Gowd. He talked about, you know, being on campus – with Rick Barnes and then Kevin Durant calls him on his cell phone, you know, and they put it on speaker. Well, I mean, look, we all know that was planned. Mike Boynton. Now I'm not saying Cade Cunningham is going to be Kevin Durant, but JC, he is going to be the number one player selected in the NBA draft barring a catastrophic injury coming up. Okay. He is the consensus number one player for the NBA draft. Mike Boynton is going to have that in his hip pocket when he goes recruiting from now on, wherever he's the coach. I'm not saying he'll be the coach at South Carolina, but when you have a link to a guy and that's your guy, that's the number one pick in the draft, and he's going to be available to help you recruit other dudes like him. I mean, on top of being a USC uh you know, alumnus and former player. I think that gives him a, you know, unique advantage, particularly when it comes to the recruiting part, which, you know, has been missing for quite some time at South Carolina. Yeah. You got to get the Jimmy's and Joe's and, and all that. And you, and you know, he's probably got relationships uh, and that's a lot of what recruiting comes down to. You know, he worked at Wofford, he worked at Furman, he worked at Coastal, uh, worked at Carolina. So so within the state, it's not like he'd be flying back. It's not like he spent his whole coaching career, you know, out in Oklahoma. But anyway, we'll put that to bed. Keith, we got a quarterback battle on our hands, um, which I personally am excited about. You know, I, I've I've uh I think it's for the best that there's competition. I I don't know that. And I, and I think Luke Doty is going to improve this year. I don't know how much he was going to be pushed by Colton Gauthier in the spring. And, and, you know, I always think it's better to have, you know, somebody nipping at your heels on your butt uh, than not. Uh, and this Jason Brown kid to me, uh, when I watch him on film, it, to me it makes it seem like maybe it's not a layup that Doty even wins it. Um what are your take? What's your take on this? I wrote a big article about it this week on the site, uh, kind of comparing the two. And, and there's a lot to like about both players. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, look, comp- competition helps everybody. Iron sharpens iron. I mean, look, you know, I thought the one thing that held Jake Bentley back and maybe kept him from being as good as he could have been. And he was awfully good. I mean, he was in a position to break every school record, you know, if he hadn't have had the injury to start his senior season. 
was he really just didn't have anybody pushing him. And I, you know, go back to my friend Brad Lawing talking about how, you know, when he flipped the DNA of that defensive line and they started playing at a high level, he said, guys, no, they can't take a drill off. They can't take a rep off in practice because if they do, they're going to get passed by somebody else. And so I think, you know, there's a lot to like with Jason Brown. 6'3", 235 out of that, you know, Chancellorsville, Virginia area. You know, he's got a, you know, tremendous chemistry with E.J. Jenkins, who's definitely going to be on the field for the Gamecocks. Luke Doty, you know, played in some, started some games, got some SEC experience. You know, but I I I think Luke Doty would be the first to tell you he's got a long way to go uh, to become an SEC starting caliber quarterback, particularly, you know, passing the football. You know, I think it's intriguing. I've, you've mentioned on my show, and I'm sh- uh, certain on your show other times that, you know, one of the things Shane Beamer likes about Luke Doty is being able to bring some of that Oklahoma quarterback run game that they used with Jalen Hurts because that fits his skill set. Um, you know, but how much can he improve as a passer? Uh, how can Jason Brown adjust to the speed uh, and the tight windows that balls are going to have to be thrown in to be completed in the SEC? I think it's a very intriguing quarterback battle, and I think both players – at the end of spring will be uh, all the better for having gone through, you know, a unique competition. Yeah, I think so too. I could see positives and negatives on both. The one thing about Doty passing the ball too, I think, you know, he's got the ability to throw it. It's not like he's got a weak arm or anything like that. I think it's, it's knowing where to go with the ball, those kinds of intangible things. Uh, that were lacking and, you know, talk about being thrown to the fire. He was thrown, kind of just thrown to the fire last year. And, you know, I I think that Kentucky game was his worst game and that was the last game of the year and it sticks in everybody's head. But I, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm actually just glad, you know, there is a competition. I like Jason Brown's size, 6'3", 235. Uh, Certainly got him, has a big arm, can throw it. Uh, and, you know, threw for almost 3,100 yards at St. Francis uh, in 2019. So that's pretty good production. Uh, Keith, baseball team, kind of got up off the mat last night, beat the Citadel 11-7. to seven. Uh, The Citadel guy, I think, that barked at the Gamecock dugout during the game, uh, opened up a can of worms. Because <laughs> it was all of a sudden like, you know, Carolina was struggling and Citadel guy barked at him. And the next thing you know, they put a – I think six runs on the board in the eighth inning and and one going away. But this is a big series this weekend at Texas, down in your neck of the woods. I think when people hear Texas baseball, it's still synonymous with championships, as it probably should be. But it's been a while for for that team. And honestly, it's been a while for the entire uh, Texas athletic department uh, to a certain extent as far as competing at a championship level. You know, talk about the Longhorns because you got your ear to the ground on it uh, as a, a across the board in all sports. And then, you know, give your feelings about, you know, Carolina schedule and this and, uh, 
you know, for, for the first time in a long time, I get somebody besides Clemson having a three game series against a fellow national power. Well, number one, we'll, we'll go with baseball. I mean, the ones for, for guys my age and older have been the nemesis for South Carolina and other national championship opportunities. In 1975, Bobby Richardson took a team out to, you know, Omaha, and they squared off against Texas in the national championship, and Texas took them down. That was a team that, uh, you know, Jeff Grant's J.C., was the starting shortstop on that team. I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, what a high-level baseball player he was. Uh, 2002, Ray Tanner's first team to make it to Omaha. Uh, They get taken out uh, by Texas. And so, number one, I think it's going to be a huge series because I think it's going to be very well attended. And it's going to be a super regional environment, Okay, and so when if South Carolina does not host a super regional and they end up having to play, you know, away if they make it that far to a super regional, it's not it's not going to be a tougher environment, in my opinion, than what they will face this weekend against Texas, who. You know, if you look at the record, you're not that overly impressed with Texas. They're eight and five, but JC, they kicked off the season in this, uh, you know, State Farm College Baseball Classic in Arlington, and they faced number seven, Mississippi State, number eight, Arkansas, and number six, Ole Miss, back to back to back. They lost all three of them. Um, uh, I guess the closest game was four to nothing against Arkansas. But they're very formidable. I mean, their Friday night starter goes anywhere from 96 to 99 on the gun. And, uh, you know, it is a championship program. Here's the thing. You're South Carolina. You don't want to play the name on the front of the jersey. You want to play against the name on the back of the jersey this weekend. Don't get caught up in the mystique. Don't get caught up in the environment uh just focus on the opponent you know because you know look Augie Garrido he's not roaming the the dugout anymore you know he's he's gone I mean it's not the same as it has been in really in any sport and um so, I mean, that's my thoughts. I mean, I think Carolina's got an excellent chance, you know, to, to at least get one and, and you know, not, who's to say they can't, you know, win the series out here this weekend. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a good measuring stick going into SEC play for this ball club. Yeah, I certainly think you're correct about that. And, you know, then it doesn't get any easier the following week because Vandy, <laughs> which is in the top five, looms. It's just, I've never seen anything like this baseball schedule, but uh, certainly is a good tune-up for SEC play when it, it gets uh, – people talk about, like, look, this is getting real. This is getting real this weekend. Finally, wrapping up with Keith Allsep here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, don't forget – 
Next Thursday, I'll be on Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, go to patreon.com slash locked on the Gamecocks, Keith, to take advantage of those membership opportunities. Yep. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at KAllSap, or you can follow the podcast. That's at Gamecock Pod. You can go to the top of the home page of uh, either one of those Twitter accounts and click on the link, or you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash locked on the Gamecocks, all lowercase, all together. And JC, if all else fails, there's this thing called Google. Yeah. It'll get you there. But as far as Texas as an athletics program, you and I have talked about this a number of times off off the air. I mean, here's the, the situation is up until re, most recently, like probably in the last couple of weeks, I just noticed it yesterday when I was driving past uh, Daryl Royal Stadium, uh, which you can see from I-35 and the practice facility they got the practice field and they got the bubble like old time Gamecocks remember when we had the bubble the big thing that was a bubble not a building mm-hmm. got blown down you know it was it got blown down the bubble did by Hurricane Hugo and then they put up a uh, you know metal building they still call it the bubble but it wasn't a bubble well the reason they got that was Jim Carlin came from Texas Tech South Carolina, and they said, hey, we need to go to Texas to check out their state-of-the-art facilities. This was in 1976, okay? And so they constructed this bubble, and it was an inflatable bubble, and that was their indoor practice facility. Well, J.C., uh, Texas just took down the bubble, and that thing looked like it had been up since 1975. It... uh, Looked like, uh, you know, a set of sheets that hadn't been changed in about six months at the Thoroughbred Inn on uh, Two Notch Road. Um, <laughs> so, crack myself up. Thoroughbred, man. Yeah, that's a great reference. <laughs> at any rate, uh, finally, Steve Sarkeesian uh, n- uh, undoubtedly has shown the people at Texas uh, the state-of-the-art facilities at Alabama, and they are beginning construction on what looks like a new indoor practice facility that will take them into the 21st century, um, you know, much like South Carolina. And the problem at Texas is it's in downtown Austin, and all the, re- all the real estate's been bought up by high-end hotels, high-rise condominiums, and the University of Texas is landlocked, okay? And so their basketball arena, they need to build a new basketball arena, but I don't know where they're going to build it because developers are scooping up everything. And so their facilities, you would not think of Texas as having arcade uh, practice facilities and player lounges and all of that. But, you know, when Tom Herman came out here, they see they still had the old rawhide, longhorn colored sofas uh, and carpet in the players' lounge from the 1970s. I mean, it looked like you know something out of an old like a show you'd see on TV land. 
And, uh, you know, they've got to do major facility upgrades. You know, their stadium, they don't have a lot of luxury, you know, corporate suites and boxes because it's uh, really old. And basketball is the same way. I mean, you know, Carolina Coliseum, much, much nicer probably to this day than what Texas plays in, in basketball right now. I mean, I've, I've been there. I've been courtside. It's, I've been in the, in the you know, VIP lounges. It's not anything to write home about. I can tell you that. Yeah, and you kind of look at it, and it's it's yeah. For those that don't know, and and I, I know some Gamecocks are going out there. Keith's right. It's like you know, South Carolina is actually fortunate because the, the setup's sort of the same with USC being downtown like it is in Austin, but Columbia is not growing like Austin, Texas, and it would be like South Carolina just running out of room, you know, and there there were no. There was no land at the fairgrounds to purchase or farmer's market or anything like that. And that, that would make things certainly problematic. So hopefully, um, you know, it, you, you think they have the money out there. So hopefully that changes. And, you know, just looking at it, Gamecock fans, you know, you don't believe that your facility's nice. Go look at the Gamecock weight room for football and go look at the Texas weight room for football. Uh, and, and you'll see a stark difference. Now, that doesn't mean in five years Texas isn't going to build something that's, like, ridiculous because <laughs> that's just how it goes. But right now the game cost got them. One more final question with Keith Alsep. I know you keep up with this program really well. Everybody at the Big Spur appreciates your coverage of it. Um, women's basketball, another SEC tournament championship. Tremendous feat there. Um I guess the big question now, Keith, is are they going to pull the number one seed or will it be NC State or or other talking about, uh, you know, on Selection Sunday here in four days? Or Monday, well, sorry, Selection Monday in four days. Yeah, so for women, it's Selection Monday. So Charlie Cream, who does the bracketology at ESPN, I think because, you know, South Carolina played such a – tough conference schedule and a tough non-conference schedule, even though, you know, three of their four losses, uh, you know, were to Connecticut, who's the number one overall seed up until this past week. Uh, NC State was number two, or Texas A&M was number two, and NC State was number three. Uh, South Carolina has a number of, of quality wins. They're probably going to be the fourth number one seed. Um, but at the end of the day, JC, it's just going – it's kind of like uh, NC State's uh, coach said, uh, to pay West, I call him. Uh, it's going to be – you know, it's all, all it's going to be is what color jersey you're wearing when you get to that one, two – matchup because it's going to be on a neutral floor the you know women's tournaments different than the men's in that year's past the top 16 seeds uh, they all get two home games and then they move to once the sweet 16 they move to the regionals and then it's the elite eight and then they go to the final four and uh, that's not going to be the case this year the NCAA tournament for women will be held at least the first two rounds in Austin, 
in San Marcos and in San Antonio. Gamecocks should find out on Monday night uh, where they will be. I mean, it's interesting with this team, JC. I mean, Dawn Staley's right. If they, you know, just made 70% of their layups, they'd be undefeated. Um, Every game they've lost, it's been because of just inability to consistently make point-blank range shots, which I don't understand, but it's a thing. It's become a thing, and it's probably a mental issue. This team could cut down the nets. They could make it to the Final Four. They could get knocked out in the Elite Eight or even the Sweet 16. Uh, Or even if they don't play well, get upset in the second round. I mean, I just really think it's that big of a range simply because it's just, you know, this is a young team. They don't have senior leadership and they really don't have a whole lot of depth that Don Staley trusts uh, because even the SEC tournament and that championship game on dead legs, she still only played basically seven players. And so, you know, we'll see, but I do think they will get a number one seed. I will mention uh, earlier today, Gamecock signee Raven Johnson was named the Naismith National High School Girls Basketball Player of the Year. She's a point guard out of Westlake in Atlanta. And, you know, Sanaya Fagan, 6'4", forward, was a also a finalist for that. And honestly, for my money, Sanaya Rivers is the most talented player in that class. So, uh Reinforcements are definitely on the way for Dawn Staley. No doubt about it. I think um, that's going to be an interesting deal. And, and you know, just looking at the results from this year, I tend to agree with you. Now, Final Four is still at the Alamo Dome. Am I right? Yep. Yep. And they'll play everything else sort of in that area. For those of that aren't familiar with uh, Central Texas, Austin's very close to San Antonio and – I think San Marcos is right between the two. San Marcos is where Texas State University is, I believe. The the Bobcats, they used to be Southwest Texas State, um, you know, and and so that's that. But uh, certainly will be uh, interesting to see both tournaments, in my opinion, being all in one general area this year. All right, Keith. Um, again, Gamecock at Gamecock Pod. Go follow the Twitter account. Go link up. Uh, to Keith, uh, you, you mentioned your interview with Mike Yuba today. That's a, that's a good one info pack. So there's no better time if you can get out there and do it to, to become a patron of the lot on the Gamecocks podcast. And certainly we appreciate everybody listening to ITG. Keith will be back here in two weeks. I'll be over there next week. This has been inside the Gamecocks podcast, JC Sherbert, everyone have a wonderful weekend and we'll holla at you soon.